Welcome back to the fantasy and the adventure, to the mystery and the intrigue, to the nightmares and the dreams. Episode 18. Boggart, Slagrit, and Eek. Part 1. Hazel Peachwood and her orphan brothers have been chasing goblin prints. That first print they found just after the quicksand Grawlix incident? Well, it leads to many others. They find goblin handprints on turtle shells, toadstool caps, mossy tree trunks, both felled and standing, hanging vines, empty snail shells, the poor little suckers had been slurped right out, droopy tree limbs, swollen tree roots, the haunches of eight-point bucks, the floppy ears of slow and old bunny rabbits, and on so many other things that suggest the movement, the creeping, the lurking, and the sneaking of goblins. And each smudge drives them to search for the next, until at last Elwood asks the question that they're all thinking. Is this a good idea? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Safest thing you can do. Right next to lighting a pipe with a dragon sneeze. You reckon it's a bad idea? Might be. And might not be. Just thought we should ask the question. If it might be, and it might not be, and nobody's sure either way, then which side should we lean toward? This way or that? Ugh, you'd be making me dizzy. Better safe than sorry. Because sorry is not better than safe. Oi, Zip. That, um... That be sounding right. Yes, but is it safe to track or not to track? I say goblins are trouble. Nothing but trouble. But if we're following them instead of them following us, isn't that better? It means we have the disadvantage. You mean advantage. Well, true enough. Tith better that we be the fithermen than the codfish. Elwood considers that idea. But then he introduces another one. But isn't the codfish privy to the fact that he's a codfish? What, uh, what, um... What difference does that be making? It's the advantage of knowing. What's the advantage if all you be knowing is that you be the prey and not the predator? I think there's always an advantage in knowing instead of not knowing. Hazel had been listening, but she'd not been moved to talk until the conversation became about knowing, since the whole reason for her journey is exactly that. Her need to know what happened to the now empty field of lilt blossoms. The most dangerous part about knowing, however, is thinking you know more than you do. This is where thinking and knowing can get muddled up a bit, which can put a person, or more precisely, a ragtag bunch of orphans, in a pretty bad spot. For instance, the orphans only think they have the advantage of knowing. They only think they are the fishermen and not the codfish. What they don't know is what the goblins know. And what the goblins know is that they're being followed. So the argly-bargly ne'er-do-wells hide, and they allow the orphans to press on until the roles switch. The orphans become the codfish, and the goblins are about to set their hooks. There are three goblins total, and also a goblin beast of burden. A plate-backed woogle. 
that pulls a flatbed wheelbarrow loaded with a sack whose contents quiver just so. The three goblins are much like their handprints, crooked and gnarled. If a giant sneezed and the snot and boogers clung to a broken foot ladder, it would look very much like one of these goblins. Their teeth, there are only a dozen teeth between the three of them, the teeth look like rotten wine corks, and their twisted ears are cone-shaped, and from those twisted ears, wiry whiskers jut out like cactus needles. They're not the kind of creatures that evoke good thoughts or warm feelings. Folks never reminisce about the enchanting moment when a goblin drops in on their tea party, nor do they brag about the delicious romantic dinner whipped up by a goblin gourmet. And in general, the following words are not coupled with thoughts, memories, or fantasies of goblins. Hug, cuddle, love, hold, smile, kiss, bouquet, intimacy, or chocolate fondue. These words, however, are often coupled with talk of goblins. Maleficence, malfeasance, maliciousness, most malwords to be quick about it, lecherous, wicked, cruel, lazy, nasty, burp, fart, belch, secretion, smoked oysters, and ever so occasionally, crafty. And it is the case that these goblins have, in a terribly crafty fashion, corralled Hazel and the rest of the orphans into a corridor with impassable, sky-high bluffs on either side. And unfortunately, the orphans are none the wiser. (sighs) It seems like we lost the scent. You mean tracks. Well, what now? I guess we should double back to the last goblin print. Oh, boy. Back to the last point, yeah. Ah, but maybe the goblins shimmied up the bluffs they did. Goblins can crawl, squirm, creep, sneak, but they don't climb. Oh, that's true. I've never heard of a goblin climbing either. How could we have lost the trail? I don't imagine goblins are among the smartest creatures in the Whisperlands. Well, when it comes to wits, a goblin is somewhere between a pile of goat dung and Madame Drax. (laughs) And that's generous, I'd say. The orphans begin walking back the way they came, until suddenly, Squish sniffs the air. His face blanching like steamed cabbage. Does anybody smell that? All the orphans sniff at the air, and all of their faces blanch like a whole patch of steamed cabbage. S- smell what there? What What are we smelling, Squish? Oh, no. oh it smells like... Oh, flying flapdoodles. Oh, it smells like dragon farts. It sure does smell like dragon farts. And just as Squish declares as much, the three goblins slip from the shadows and surround the orphans. The plate-backed Woogle trots out a moment later. The sack and the flatbed wheelbarrow still quivering just so. Armed with a crooked, rusty cutlass, a bludgeon, and a spiked mace, respectively. The goblins' names are Boggart Fullyfink, Slagrit Grizzlegrux, and Eek Greasy Fingers. Not that anyone other than goblins would be able to tell them apart. The trio of ne'er-do-wells push in on the orphans. Lump and Squish begin to raise their axes, and Copper and Gruff do the same with their daggers, but the argly-bargly snarl of the goblins and their collective slashing and swinging of weapons make the boys think better of it. The standoff lingers as the goblins wheeze 
Phlegm rattling along their congested gullets. Mucus oozing from their pores. And a reeking stench radiating from their slippery, slimy flesh. At last, the goblin with the cutlass speaks. The last soft-skinned ghost mouse that got too close to our heels. You know what happened to him. He probably suffocated from the stench. Boggart sniffs himself. (laughs) So do Slaggart and Eek. (laughs) Then they sniff each other. (laughs) What stench, Goatsmouse? Never mind the stench, Eek. We're in the middle of making threats. That's right. I forgot the onion. The last soft-skinned ghost mouse that got too close to our heels now spends the rest of his days on my cave floor. How's that sound? I'm not one for caves. Double for me. Uh, I could be getting along in a cave. Well, can't be any worse than living with Madame Drax. <laughs> Who said he was living? He's not living? He's just a skin. Ain't too much living when a body is missing hearts and lungs. And bones. And guts. Buggert runs a fungus-ridden finger along the blade of his cutlass. Yep. You need guts to live, you gulch mice. Well, that depends. Depends on which. Hazel stands firm and indignant as she addresses the goblins. You three don't seem to have much in the way of guts. Badgering orphans the way you are. But here you are, alive and well, not dead at all, and no guts to speak of. Confusion tweaks the goblins' faces. They're not used to being challenged, least of all by a soft-skinned, gulchmousey orphan. We can test that theory, gulchmouse. Spill your pretty little guts all over the forest floor and see how much living you'll be up to. And sassy. That's right. Won't be too sassy without the guts. It's at this point that Hazel notices something. It's something she's noticed before, but the context in which she now notices that something is different. And when a context changes, everything changes. What Hazel notices is that effervescent glow, that hint, that sign, that indelible indicator of what she is absolutely positively certain is a fairy. And the effervescent glow that Hazel notices is leaking from the satchel that's strung across the chest of the goblin, Boggart Fullyfink. Thanks for listening. On the next Cobbler's Gulch, Boggart, Slagrit, and Eek. Part 2. In the meantime, we'd like to offer an invitation specific to the idea of contexts. We of Cobbler's Gulch understand that you listen to this adventure and you bring your very own context, your own unique experiences, your specific point of view, your particular ears and imagination. You hear this story unfold and it's a little different through your ears than it is through the ears of the person beside you. So it stands to reason that you imagine it differently too. And because of this, we invite you to share your specific imagination. To draw, paint, color, design the characters of Cobbler's Gulch and share them with other listeners. 
We'll be creating a page of listener art on the Cobbler's Gulch website. So send a slice of your imagination to the following address. Orphanage at cobblersgulch.com We look forward to celebrating your imagination. Also, for those of you having silly thoughts, like, but I'm not artistic, I'm not creative, I can't draw, or other silly things like that, please know that if you don't share your imagination for those kinds of silly reasons, you'll probably have nightmares about it. So stop the silliness. Sharpen your pencils and mix your paints. After all, that's the best way to ensure sweet dreams. <laughs> <laughs>